It's kind of it reminds me of Montreal before Montreal had to move to Washington D.C. How do you have the best closer in baseball and one of the best starters in baseball without a job? I'm laying down at bed at night and I'm just I just need to get that hit out of the way. I don't care how I get it. Welcome to another episode of Digging In with JP and CB. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashbourne. Today we're excited to have Kevin Biggio on the show the latest Blue Jays rookie to appear on the scene, a guy who plays second base, outfield a little first. He can do third as well. Pretty much does everything for this team. And I think really interestingly as well, a guy who's appeared on the scene quite recently, like we'd heard his name before, but he, until a couple of years ago, he hadn't really exploded. And now he's arrived and people are seeing why he was so special in AA and AAA as well. Well, that's on my notes to ask him because – it's you look at his numbers you know you go back to his minor leagues you know he he didn't really hit a lot of home runs and then he got the high and he hit six he wasn't still not a ton or 11 excuse me and then then he got the double a and then he went off and hit 26 so i want to know what the difference was i'm sure there was an adjustment swing adjustment there there was something that was done uh kevin's one of the better athletes he was a big time football player as well in high school so you know those are things i want to talk to him about because i think the bloodlines are there but the athleticism to be able to make adjustments are are huge so it's been fun to see him continue to get better everywhere he goes and you know hopefully he can continue to do it in the big league level because he was even having a triple a he was having above average numbers that, that he usually already more above it above average than what he was having in double a yeah, it's a pretty clear ascent when you see what his career's been. And if we talked about him three years ago, it was more like, oh, that's kind of cool. The Blue Jays have Craig Biggio's son in the system. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's kind of neat. Like, that's a fun fact. But now he's a real player, so it's exciting to see that happen. Also, a left-handed bat, which is something the Blue Jays kind of lack at the major league level and in their system as well. If he can develop into a solid left-handed bat for them, that's going to be huge. Um, and... Also, and he's stealing a couple of bases, which is something that we talked about on our over-unders. I thought that the uh, Montoyo Blue Jays might get aggressive, and it turns out that has not happened. But in you know just nine games, he's got a couple swipes already. Yeah, and, and I've you know his defense has been good. I think that's something that'll come into play as well. How how great of a defender can he be um, in the outfield? And we'll see. I, I think it's I think it's just fun to watch in general because it's. You're you're in a win-win situation. I think you get to see all these young guys play and see who's the one that you know really sticks out. Who's the one that maybe just becomes a a platoon guy, I, I, and then who's the one that possibly just never really you know fizzles out or or not fizzles out, never really becomes like an everyday guy. But I think just looking at the track record with Kevin, it's it's he continues to get better everywhere he goes. He's got big power. You saw his first home run that he hit an absolute tank of a home run so we'll see I think the whole team it's it's uh, a lot of guys are starting to I mean look you look at Lourdes Guriel's as well in the outfield Grichuk in center you know possibly could that be the outfield of the future you never know but it, it's it's these guys are starting to to play pretty good so before we get to uh, BGO, I wanted to touch a little bit on the Rays because when the Blue Jays visit Tropicana Field I really got thinking about this team and I know that it's an organization you were part of for a bit and an organization that treated you well. But the question I wanted to ask today was, 
is the success of the Rays. And there's no doubt their success. I know that last year they didn't make the playoffs, but they had an incredible second half surge and they almost got there. And this year they're sitting second in the AL East, very likely to make the playoffs, even if it's only in a wild card. Is it good for baseball? Because on one hand, there's all this strategic innovation that they're doing. And I think other teams are going to get in on it. The four-man outfield is huge. A guy you know uh, well, Chad Matola, their hitting coach, um, he spoke out earlier this year about how batting practice is silly and guys aren't learning anything and it's not replicating actual game situations. And he's kind of changed batting practice there with a little more high-velocity stuff, which I think is interesting because I've talked to baseball people before who think that you know, batting practice just doesn't help hitters as much as uh, it's just a ritual. So I, I think that's interesting. They, they could just, they're always innovating. So that's kind of, they're bringing things to baseball, the opener being an obvious example. But then on the other side, when you're running these tiny payrolls, you give owners the opportunity to say, oh, well, look what the Rays are doing. We can do that. Or Robert Manfred, even, he can say, oh, well, look, competitive balance is working. And, you know, you don't need to sign a bunch of free agents to be competitive. Look at what the Rays are doing. And that kind of is proof that he can use to further his point that there's nothing wrong with free agency. There's nothing wrong with the suppression of salaries and things like that. So for me, the the Rays are kind of a double-edged sword. And I wanted to see where you land on it. Well, first, I have to give... A lot of credit to Chad Matola because he's a genius. And I know you know how I feel about him. I think he's probably, if not the best, one of the best hitting coaches in all of uh, Major League Baseball. And what sucks is to think that um, Toronto had him for a year and then they, they fired him right away. And I thought that was a big mistake. But here here's the thing. He, he is right on as far as how they think over there. Uh, the first one is, is even with myself, he when I was with Tampa, he didn't let me hit uh, batting practice on the field. Even when I was in AAA with the Blue Jays and I won the MVP in Toronto, uh, he wouldn't let me hit BP on the field because it was counter it was counterproductive to me because I would go out there and you know now there's fans in the crowd. You're trying to put on a show. You're hitting home runs and you really don't work. And a lot of guys actually go backwards in BP. You get good work in the cage and then you go out into the field and you do that stuff at 50 miles an hour, which you can manipulate a baseball. So I think that there's something to that there. I think even in general, if you look at all sports, the way sports prepare are starting to evolve as opposed to like, oh, this is what they did back in the days. Well, like back in the days, guys didn't throw 100 either, right? So there's a lot of different things. I Even with the Blue Jays, I remember the Blue Jays talking about the possibility of trying to do more velo early because they were struggling earlier in games. They didn't really get a lot of hits earlier in games. And so they were, you know, that was something that they were going to see just more for eyes. So your eyes could see it. But on the Tampa Bay race side, honestly, one, I really enjoyed being a part of that organization because I think what they did very well, it was getting information, being an analytically driven team, but still providing the information to the players so that the players could maximize their abilities. Um, do I think that some of the things they do are, are a little crazy? Yes, but then they're proving to be successful. I think the whole question that you're asking about the side with the, the commissioner and how do you maintain like competitiveness and does he have now bullets because of the raise the way they're doing, I think that's all solved with the CBA. I think that... The, the Major League Player Association has to 
make things happen, you know, with these owners to make it a playing field for however they want. Because if it's anything in any business that you do, if you have anything, if you have loopholes, people are going to find it. And if you have, you know, like the, the super two status, guys are going to hold players down. There's, there's different things that you need to adjust as a players association and, and in the coming CBA to affect those things. Now, the Rays, the Rays are just being smart and using using that to their, you know, a bit to their strengths. But also another thing with the Rays, and this is what people don't understand, these guys were one of the first, they're the leaders in spin rate and they're the leaders in pitching, like using analytics for guys to become much better. So think about, you look at the Rays, the Rays have been phenomenally like successful at at developing major league pitchers and pitchers that are not just superstars, first round picks, guys that are twenty round picks that become stuff. So then they got Chad Matola over into the system when he became the hitting coordinator, and then they started all of a sudden developing position players, and now those position players are getting to the big league. So I think they just have a really good um, formula, however you want to say it, to to making players maximize their ability. Yeah, and to be clear, I wouldn't put any blame on the Rays. I don't think the Rays are doing anything nefarious. If anything, the Rays have an enormous structural disadvantage and no one is coming to see them. You know, when the Blue Jays came to... And I know the Blue Jays don't draw well and that makes sense. They're a Canadian team. They're not a very good team right now, et cetera, et cetera. But when the Blue Jays came down to Tropicana Field, they were drawing like 6,000 people. It was embarrassing. It's ridiculous. It's like... It's kind of it reminds me of Montreal before Montreal had to move to Washington D.C. Like those are the kind of numbers and just kind of that that stadium and just the look of that kind of empty, you know, pit of a stadium that Tropicana Field is. So it's not. I would never blame the Rays for anything. It just it worries me because owners around the league are going to see that and they're going to see that oh, we don't need to pay veteran players. We don't need to spend money on big league payroll. We'll spend money on our analytics department, our player development, and they should be spending money on those things. But as we continue to worry about free agency, like, you know, the fact that Keuchel and Kimbrell didn't get signed is insane. Uh, And I don't think we even talk about that enough. I know we will talk about it now that the draft is going to be over and those draft pick compensations won't exist anymore but the fact that players of that caliber didn't get signed shows where free agency is going and i think that teams that have success without spending any money like the rays do enable that rolling downhill and again it's not their fault at all but owners can point to a, a prototype and robert manfred can say this is you know proof that teams are smart and blah blah blah. and like you said the players have a lot of work to do in the next cba yeah no and and i think what's crazy to me is you think about the tampa bay rays you think about the success that they've had as a team you know even they had a little bit of a down period but when i was playing in the big leagues they were a team that was fighting for the division with with the players that they've had even in september when they were a about they were I I forgot I think it was the Orioles that they were battling for the division lead. We're playing there and there's no one in the crowd. And for me, it's like man, that's crazy that you could have such a good team and people don't st- still come out because they always say, hey, winning. If you win, they'll come. Well, 
they're winning and no one was coming. And then all of a sudden the playoffs, the whole place is packed. And it's like, well, obviously there's people there, but we're winning and they didn't come. So I start to think like at what point, you know, you look at the Marlins, the Marlins are starting to draw a little bit better. They're starting to, you know, do some better things. And I think there's just a, there's a good feel around there right now, but I mean, at what point do you say, hey, the, the Tampa Bay's need to, to move? Or, hey, somebody needs to move? Like, it's that's a scary thing for me is thinking that in the state that I live in, one day there might not be Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean, I, you can speak to that better than I can. But, the, yeah, the Florida market for Major League Baseball is very peculiar. It just doesn't seem to draw. And that's the thing. Cleveland has this, too. Like, Cleveland has put it, a good team on the field. I know this year has not been their year, but – they put good teams on the field consistently and they still don't draw. And that's when you need to, I mean, Cleveland has such a history and yeah, yeah. It's hard to imagine Cleveland moving, but when you continue to win and there's no, you know, the attendance doesn't move, that's when you start to think about, is this the right location? But you can do that in baseball today. Again, this is another part of the issue is that you can make money without fans coming. Cause a lot of it, yeah, comes the to TV deal, yeah, the TV, TV deals, revenue sharing. And so, you just can you can bank that money and not spend money on players and the rays have done that in a way and still been competitive but you can imagine other teams doing it and saying okay we'll take that model and bank that money and you know we'll just not have a good team and to to an extent the marlins had that for a little bit i know that more recently there's a direction around the team but there's definitely a period where the marlins were just sitting back there and cashing checks well that's a that's the I mean, it's it's just crazy to me, and there's – oh, man, I, I just don't get it. Yep, Miami's a tough market in the sense of, you know, even when the Heat were the big three, they still had – I mean, they, they drew well, but they still didn't draw as good as you would think, right? They weren't selling out every single night. You're getting to you, – you could buy a ticket for a cheap – you know, for a cheap amount for to get to the game. But we'll see. I, I, I just think there's – too much there's too many things that are loose ended in the CBA right now that I think that's going to be a huge negotiating time because I I don't want to see it is there going to be baseball strike again is there going to be I think that there's going to be a, a a real big battle in the upcoming uh CBA there needs to be to be honest the the owners have too much power right now compared to the players like and the, if the players just accept this again they've lost they need to fight hard and I, I don't know if that guarantees there needs to be a strike I don't know if that's what I'm saying but this needs to be a contentious negotiation because if the players just sit back and take this again that's a huge mistake yeah because he, even in general for <clears throat> and what people are going to say too is a salary cap and all these different things I just there's got to be something to be done. I'm sure there's people that that in the MLB player association that are a much higher payer grade than I and much smarter and can think about these things and however they need to do it, but something's got to happen. There's too many good teams uh and too many good cities and teams that uh are not competing and there's there's teams that are just throwing it away and again like how do you have the best closer in baseball and one of the best starters in baseball without a job? I mean, and now all of a sudden after this draft, now they're talking about, okay, now, you know, people are in negotiations because, I mean, they don't want to lose draft picks. It's just, there's a lot of st stupid things that are, that are happening right now that, that are hurting players and they just have to be able to, to figure out how to, 
not ha- allow these you know these GMs and these teams to to weasel their way around you know what they're doing. Yeah, and the the thing that they always come back to is the competitive balance point and it is interesting because you know the draft just happened. I guess it's still ongoing the last part. And a lot of people have talked about, well, let's blow up the draft. The draft is the biggest salary suppressor out there, yada, yada, yada. And I I feel those points because there's a lot of young kids that deserve a lot more money than they're getting, especially when it comes to them going to the minor leagues. Like if they were free agents, the top guys, they'd be making millions and millions of dollars, even as kids, and they don't make that money. At the same time, if suddenly they were all free agents, it is worth thinking about the idea that the Yankees or Dodgers might just sign like all of the good ones and break the league. So there is a balance that has to be struck. I don't know if, uh, if there is a way to have, to have a non-draft system. It's just, it's so far beyond most of the major traditional North American sports that that's far from happening. But things like that are starting to be thought of for the first time. Like I'd never heard people saying, let's not do the draft until the last two or three, maybe four years, like 10 years ago, no one was saying that. So it's starting to build and build and build this kind of anger against the salary suppression of younger players. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, they have, they're going to have to visit some stuff. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not against the draft. I just think that they're going to have to do some things where teams don't get, you know, whatever for not re-signing a player or re-signing a player that people don't get, taking a draft pick away there's just there's just too much value to being able to sign somebody at you know three million bucks as a draft pick and then all of a sudden in a few years he's an mvp of the, of your division as opposed or of your league as opposed to you know having to go out there and, and sign people and then lose that pick so we'll see i mean it, it's just crazy to me I, I just think as a baseball fan i'm just a baseball fan like i i love baseball and I want to I want to see it like thrive, and I want to see it. You know, I've played in the St. Louis's as a visiting team. I've played in San Fran. I've played in Boston and New York, and these markets where you go, and it's so much fun to just even go as a fan. Like I, I I'm playing in these games, going, man, this is this is such a cool like feel, and people lining up. You see all the different people going to the game. It should be fun. Uh, I just I just hope that there's something to be done because I don't want to see it get to the point where all of a sudden, you know, we're talking about a strike and then baseball has to struggle again and, you know, then then we're then where are we at? You know, that that's the only thing that scares me. But the good news is is it's still it's still on every night and we get to watch it and there's some some really really good players that play in Major League Baseball and I think Toronto has a few of the young the young ones that are. Pretty dang special. On a slightly less grim note, we're going to welcome, you know, like you said, one of the good things about baseball is the influx of young talent. And a lot of the superstars right now are, are really young. You know, Mike Trout is like the older range of superstars right now, and he hasn't even hit 30 yet. So uh, in that light, some of the interesting young talent in the Blue Jays organization, one of the better young players, Kevin Biggio. All right. As said... Our guest today is Kevin Biggio. Um, welcome to the big leagues, first off. And the biggest thing we, we like to ask, guys, and I think everybody has a different story, is how did you get called up, one, first part of the question, how did you, how did they tell you that you were co- coming up? And then the second part is is how unreal has the big league life been? Uh, well, we were in Rochester, um, 
New York playing the Twins AAA, and we were supposed to play an 11 o'clock a.m. Uh, children's game or kids game, whatever, where they just have a bunch of kids in the stand, which we played in that game before, so I was pretty tired, and it rained all morning. We had a three-hour delay, and we, were at, we had a six-hour bus ride to Lehigh Valley, and we ended up playing the game after three hours, which I was pretty upset about. And we played the game, we won, and um, sitting there, about literally about to get in the shower, and I'm in my tights, and about to, you know, go take a shower, and uh, my hitting coach calls me in, and I'm thinking that he's gonna want to show me a video or something. I'm like, I'm like, what do you want, Corey? Like, and he's just like, uh, and I look over, and Bobby Meacham, my manager, standing right there. He said, like, close the door, and say, hey, you're going to the big leagues, blah blah blah. And, it's all surprising, and so uh, I, it was just a crazy experience where you know you can't really explain your emotions, and you know being in the big leagues is, is amazing. Um, it's everything I ever dreamed of, and you know I just you know want to continue to get better up here, and you know um, you know help this team win. Well, and you you said continue to get better, you know. You continue to get better every year. I mean, just looking at your numbers, you know, throughout the minor leagues, you know, you, high A, you got 11 homers. Next year, you got 26. And then on, you were on pace for even a better year this year in AAA. What, was there like a, just like a swing adjustment that you were able to make or there was something to where you said, you know, it took you from A to B overnight? Because I think you, you always proved to be a, a very consistent hitter, but then all of a sudden everything else started taking off. Yeah. Uh, when I was in high A, I, I kind of, realized that my swing wasn't um it wasn't i wouldn't say consistent enough i would i would just say it wasn't in the zone enough for me to get best chance of hitting the ball hard so you know i went to, to 2000 um after 2017 to 18 and you know i just lowered my hands a little bit just to keep my bat path in the zone and you know i kind of just to help with timing and stuff i had a little negative mood a little little uh a little load and um you know, I, I just knew it was going to provide me with more consistency throughout the course of a long year. Um, the low hands and my natural finish kind of created more of a loft in my swing. And so the doubles that I would hit the year before were line drives in the gap, and now they were fly balls that were getting out of, out of the, uh, the stadium. So that's where I made a couple adjustments um, going in 2018. I'm going to apologize in advance here because I know that as a fact that you're probably going to get more questions about your dad than you care for over the course of your career. But I have to drop one in here because I thought it was really funny to watch because they would go to him on the broadcast all the time in your first few games. His reactions to you playing were just so stone-faced. I don't know if you've seen any of the clips, but they're... There was like a golf clap for your first career hit, and it was just like when anything happened, it was a you know vacant stare into the distance. And he finally, when you hit that big home run, he got up and gave the high fives. But even then, you know, you could probably see a little bit more out of him. I was wondering if that's typical of you growing up as a very you know composed, stoic Craig Biggio. Yeah, I mean that that's him. Whenever you watch any of my games of any sport, he's just sitting there observing, and that's just. Like I said, it's just who he is. He he's. Uh, I think when I hit the home run, that's the most emotion I've ever really seen him make for anything that's not a a, a deer kill. I guess you could say we we love hunting, but um, he um, it, it was pretty cool to see that. Um, 
you know, I'm just used to, I think he's got a lot of things going in his head. He loves watching the game in general. And, um, yeah, so like you said, very stone-faced when he's watching it. And I think when, that home, when I hit that home run, um, I think he got a little bit out of his element and um, really wasn't expecting it, I guess you could say. JP sometimes gives me some flack, but I like to throw uh, kind of remarkable statistics about our guests at them and then see how they feel about it. Sometimes it's stat cast. This one isn't. But one thing that's been crazy about you is since you've come to the big leagues, and I know it's been only a few games so far, you've swung at the fewest pitches outside the strike zone of anyone in baseball who's had as many at-bats as you. And I was just wondering, and it shows up in your stats through you know, your minor league career. You've always walked a lot. What do you think has been made you able to hold up on pitches at this incredibly elite rate? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's just, that's just part of my game. Part of my approach is just, you know, being a very patient hitter and taking a walk when I can. And that's just kind of what I've learned where, you know, coming through the minor leagues, I, I just, I, I learned that pitchers were, they weren't, I was getting myself out more than I was letting the pitcher get me out. And then I kind of just realized and sat down and be like, okay, the more times I can swing at good pitches and, and not let the pitcher get me out, I look the picture, get myself out where, you know, I'm chasing a hair off and I'm grinding out the second, or I could just take that pitch and be a little bit more patient and, you know, finally find a pitch that I can actually drive. And in the past, it's kind of hurt me where with two strikes, it'd be the same thing. I, I'd still be, you know, looking at a pitch I can drive and then I'm taking a pitch that's catching the black and I'm, I'm I struck out. So what I'm trying to do now is, is, you know, expand my zone a little bit more with two strikes. But um, and that, but where you see me taking a lot of pitches is is you know not afraid to hit with two strikes and just being patient and trying to find my pitch where I can just drive. Well, I wish I had part of your brain because the only way that I walked was an intentional uh, an intentional walk because I I think I walked maybe ten times in my entire career so that's pretty special. Talk about I for me the home run right I, I think I even talked to Vladdy about this. When he was trying, when I was like, "Hey, when you hit your home run, your home run, watch, you're gonna go." And obviously, I think as hitters in general, when you hit a home run, it just kind of settles you in. Talk about the feeling one when you hit that ball, because obviously you know that it was a home run because you absolutely smashed that ball. And second, just when you get that first one, how much better it feels. Uh, I mean, yeah, I hit it and it was going right down the line, and I was hoping it was going to stay fair, and it ended up doing staying fair. And- it was the feeling. It was just like I, I don't really know how to describe it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think those first two hits—the single and then the home run—after um, that, I could finally. Just, I felt like I could just like really exhale and just you know relax and just you know play the game that you know that I love. So you know, the first couple games going hitless. I mean, I'm laying down at that at night, and I'm just. I just need to get that hit out of the way. I don't care how I get it. I don't care. I just just want to kind of get the monkey off my back. And, you know, after hitting the single, uh, four-hole single, and then, you know, a home run, it was like, all right, like, now we can, now we can go. So, yeah, it was definitely a, a good feeling and uh, and something that I wanted to get, get out of the way. The, uh, you know, if you go back, I've heard through the grapevine that you were a pretty dang good football player. And so 
I wanted to ask you about your uh, high school days in football. Did you ever think about playing both football and baseball at the next level? And then do you think that football helps you with baseball? Because I played football all the way through my senior years as well, and I thought that it, it made a huge difference in being able to, you know, help me with certain things around in baseball and just mental toughness. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love football growing up. My dad was a very good football player when he was growing up, so we kind of had that that bond where – you know, it wasn't just baseball; it was also uh, the sport. And in high school, yeah, I mean, I, I always, when I was going through the recruiting process for baseball, I, I always asked every coach about their football program and and whether or not it could be a possibility. And some coaches were like, "Ah, oh, yeah," and another like, "I think not at all. We want you to play baseball." And I, I had some looks and whatnot, and you know, I was I ended up going to the University of Notre Dame, and I talked to the baseball coach there, and they said, "Hey." You know, if you really want to pursue this football thing, you know, we, we talked to the football coach and we got you like a walk on if you want to do that. And I think I went home after that visit and I was just like, do I really just want to be like a walk on a football team when I have a chance to, you know, be pretty good at baseball? So I kind of just made that decision, just, you know, just drop that and just go to baseball. So what was the second part of that question? Just, just the the mentality wise, like. I, Oh, the mentality, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, football, I mean, I wouldn't even say, like, the game part of it. i just say the the practices and the two days, like, just that mentality of, of getting through it, especially in that Texas heat and summertime. I mean, I mean, it can really, you know, teach you something about yourself, and it pushes you through your limits, and, you know, it, it makes you, uh, I mean, it made me a hard worker. Um, you know, I, it taught me what, what team camaraderie was and team chemistry and how how important that is for your team success and you know I carried a bunch of that into to baseball just based self relationships and and whatnot and you know kind of grinding through some tough times uh, whether it's you know go for twenty slump or if it's just a really cold game or a hot game so so yeah I mean I think it it was really important for. I guess you can say my development at a young age when I was, uh, you know, playing football. On the note of other sports, one thing I thought was great during the last homestand was the support because, you know, Toronto is just so Raptors mania right now. It's crazy. It's unlike anything it's ever been. Stroman and Giles passing out the shirts. You guys came out with them after the game. And you said that you were, you know, a Rockets fan as someone would, you as you'd understand for someone who uh, came from Houston, is it easier for you to cheer against the Warriors and for the Raptors and embrace that as a Rockets fan? Like, is there a level of hatred that you can tap into in supporting the Raptors? Oh, absolutely. I mean, no. I mean, no one really wants to see the Warriors win again. So, whatever, whichever team that is playing against them, you kind of root for. Um, but when it comes to you know, obviously, group Rockets fan. Um, you know, I hate to see them lose against the Warriors. I thought they had a good shot, but but you know, being in this city and and playing for the Blue Jays, um, you know, I've I've you know come to take the Raptors as I guess you could say like my second favorite team. Um, but when they beat um, Milwaukee to go to the finals, I was at dinner here in Toronto, and after the game, we had to walk like 15 minutes back to the hotel. Me and my whole family. It was like like a riot on the streets almost. It was it was something really cool where all these fans are just like you know 
yelling hoop on and having a great time, you know, and cars are honking their horns and it's uh it was a pretty pretty incredible site where you can see, you know, this huge fan base come behind this one team and um, you know, I, I, I honestly took that as in a way where, you know, if we can get the get us back there, um, you know, it'll be something really special. Well, Kevin, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, good luck in the next uh, next few games, getting that second home run. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So Kevin was very generous with our with his time there. So we're going to move right on to the end of the episode and hit you with a would you rather. This one is a little bit on the peculiar side. I think I say that every time, and I guess it's equally true every time. This is one of those ones about kind of your day-to-day life and annoyances and what you're willing to put up with. So, would you rather be swarmed by seagulls every time you try to eat? So, you know, like, it's like you're at the beach and the seagulls are all coming for your food, but that'll happen at home, in the office. Let's say, like, I don't know, seven or eight seagulls. You know, nothing that you probably can't handle, but just loud, annoying, etc. Or whenever you try and sleep, you're covered in sand. So I guess that probably wouldn't prevent you from, this is very beach themed in retrospect, but it wouldn't prevent you from sleeping, but you would wake up and I guess your bed would be full of sand like every single day, which would have to be considered a serious annoyance and then naps too and that would i think that would rule out naps a little bit because it's like is it really worth it to have this nap and i'm gonna ruin this couch i have a question though sure only like in your bed like what happens if i go to sleep on my recliner couch or something like that well that's what i'm saying i think that that would count as well because then you would just sleep on the couch that's an unfair way to get around it so whenever you sleep there's just imagine someone just dumps like I don't know, five buckets of sand on you. So when you wake up, you know, sleeping outside is a good is a good solution. I, I would accept sleeping outside. You would still have sand on you, I guess, but it would be something of a solution. So seagulls everywhere that I eat. Yeah. Or sand everywhere that I sleep. Also, I would in, I would imagine the seagulls disappear the moment. So, like, you're eating a sandwich. The moment the sandwich is eaten, the seagulls are gone. It's not like your house is then going to be full of seagulls okay. and they're going to take a dump everywhere. Like, it's it's uh, specific to your eating. Well, then I'd have to go. I'd have to go with the seagulls because then I could I could scarf down the food and they would be they would be gone because I eat pretty quick in general. Um, on the the reason why for my not doing the sand thing is because I think, um, as we know, there's this thing called, uh, like sex. And so if you're in bed and you're like going to go to sleep, but then you, you have somebody with you and you're about to get it on and you have all that sand, I think that there'd be a lot of issues. Um, you can, you would clean the sand before someone came. Wouldn't you clean the sand if you knew someone was going to come over or you thought someone well, I, might come over? I didn't, I thought that you couldn't, I thought you, the sand was always there. Well, it's always there after you sleep. Like you go to sleep and there's tons of sand when you wake up. So you can clean it off. Well, then here's another thing too. When you wake up, stuff goes down at times. So the way I look at it, I'm looking at it as uh, I don't want to have like sand burns on my leg and certain things like that. So I I would much rather go seagulls uh, just because one, I I could barely sleep with covers on as well. So it's not just the the sexual encounters. Uh, I think that... um, being able to, I, it's tough for me to even just sleep with a sh- with bed sheets. So, sand would be a complete brutal thing for me. Uh, 
I want to sleep. I want to sleep comfortably, and I do not want to have to worry about just like sand burns on my legs and different things. And so, uh, I would one hundred. I would eat. I'd have the seagulls around, and then what? It probably would help me with your calorie intake as well, because you're not going to want to have these long, drawn out meals because of these dumb seagulls that are just flying around you. So I would, I would, you know, have a few uh, bites scarf it down and then be ready to rock but i i would say for sure the seagulls um i'd even bring a net with me catch a few of them and and maybe their friends would be a little bit more weary about hanging around me after i catch one of them uh so we'll see we're talking about magical seagulls that appear and disappear i don't think they'll be discouraged by a net (laughs) magical seagulls well they have to be i guess well, then that's – but that's my thing. I, I, I could scarf down food quick and I wouldn't have to deal with it. But I, I definitely 100% would, eat, would have the seagulls over sand in my bed because, I, 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 like I said, I can't even imagine sleeping with, with sheets on most of the time. I was about to agree with you. I was so close to agreeing with you. And then you brought out long, drawn-out meals, which I'm not going to say is my favorite thing by any means. But it occurred to me just how much of our meals become a social event. Like if it's Thanksgiving, if it's Christmas, if it's a date, if it's, you know, catching up with an old friend over and then suddenly there's just seagulls going. I just feel like that would wreck your social life because a lot of our social lives are surrounded by food, like catching up with lunch with somebody. So I think I would do the sand thing and just, I don't know, maybe I'd get an engineer to design sheets that are good at they're strong and I just fold the sheets in and just pour the sand out the window and that just become part of my daily routine because I think that a lot of food in life you know some of our best moments are around food and I think that a lot of those moments would be ruined if you were totally surrounded by seagulls well I mean there's other ways to interact with people other than just going and eating you could have one if you have drinks does it like if we have drinks, is it there's seagulls around or is it based? Because you said based on food, so no, it's I'm gonna say eat food. Yeah, I know that's true. So you true, can have drinks. And you can go. You can go on a walk. You can go do different yeah, like my whole life isn't just together. eating. But I'm just saying that a lot of our social lives, a surprising amount, the more you think about it, have something to do with food. And there's nothing wrong with that. But do you I just so? Think do you that's have the way of the world? But here's the thing: you sleep every night. You don't have a social event every night. So I. I mean, I can see your, I can see your point. I just think, I just think it'd be a, a brutal thing every time you get in bed that there's just a ton of sand dumped on you. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's you know, neither of them are great. That's kind of the that's the that's the source of the question is that neither of them are great. Uh, well, you know, as usual, we disagree. So it's good to get back in that lane after a brief time of agreeing last episode. And uh, we, we appreciate all you guys listening, subscribing, reviewing, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you guys enjoyed this week and uh, keep tuning in next week.